Holes of Remarks Show. Reading Chapter One of Surviving Evidence. Memoir of Extreme Haunting by Chris D. Cesare and William Edwards. Chapter One Fear. Some say there are two instinctive reactions to a crisis flight or fight. My experience teaches me otherwise. There's only one true instinctual reaction to crisis, fear. We fear, we freeze. It's the most natural and logical of responses in what it provides, in that it provides our mind with potentially vital time to understand what is occurring around us. Over time we can train ourselves or be trained or to fight or flee. In a crisis, firefighters are trained to run into burning buildings. Those who have suffered through a prior fire will typically run from it. But most of us will just stare. We stare with horrified expressions and watch the burning building to burn to ashes. In March 10th, 1985, the digital clock in the room, CD, C2D1, I, reads 3.31, but I am not there to see it. I am lying face down, stark naked, shivering wet and bleeding on the floor in a bathroom some 30 feet away. My eyes are open, wide, but they are not focusing, a numbing cold creeping from my 19-year-old body, a body that has been honed by preparing for and racing in nine twenty-six point two mile marathons, but source of the icy cold race racing from my still form is not the square tile covered floor that presses uncomfortably against my face but my chest and my thighs. Rather than sensation is spreading from an area near the centre of my back. An area where the wounds are, the scratches from the blood, my toes are cramped from the pressure of being pressed unnaturally upwards by the floor since I fell. But I'm too exhausted to shift my feet in order to relieve the pain. My breathing remains steady in spite of my growing fear, possibly because my body's shutting down. My mouth is open slightly, just as it was that precise moment when I looked into the mirror above the sink and I first saw the three possible scratches. I'm beginning to panic. My faults raised frank, frank, frankly from synesis to synesis, trying to make a connection that makes sense which will help me through this, whatever this is, actually is. But manic negativity has now seized control. Why did I come here to Genesco? Anyway, death is here. Less than an hour ago, I was running a brisk sub-six-minute mile clip along the dirt roads. 
that separate the lo- local farming fields. The azure sky was lined with whispery clouds of white, who were being hurried along by the unseen wind current. It was, it was so peaceful, almost a, me- a month had passed since I was a- last able to stretch out my runner's eggs like this. But now things are different. But things were different now. The priest, Father Charlie Manning, had done his blessing, and the thing, that horrible thing, that horrible thing, was gone. In three and a half, one half days since he raised up his cross, whispered his sacred prayers, and cleansed my college dorm room, my life had returned to healthy normalcy. Approximately 3.5 miles out, I turned right into the route. 20A and hilled back east, headed back east over the Metal Ridge Bell Bridge and up the rolling hills to the college. The air inside the dome was noticeably stale as I climbed my way up the stairs to the second floor, but better than that, than a sense of dread that had emanated than less than 72 hours ago, order had been restored. I untied my left Aztec, Aztec's running shoe, when I reached my door, I slid the room key off the lace. Normally my roommate Paul could be, would be inside, sitting at his desk, with his head bang, bobbing back and forth as he listened to the local rock station wearing his thick padded headphone. But things had turned ugly in room C2D1. And Paul was now determined to spend most of his free time at home with his parents. But I could not blame him. I would more or would likely have been Michael's faction as well if I lived less than an hour away like he did. As I as this was not the case, I often became the lone home in the occupant and soon got into the habit of tying my room key onto my shoelaces so that I could lock my door when I went out. It's important that the door remained locked. I pulled my royal blue, white and white wool cap, the one the big pom-pom on top, and tossed it into the old couch that sat quietly in front of the room's lone window. My hair was so famously thick that my aunt, Rowe, once joked that she had broken her thinning shears while trying to cut it. It was battered down and a bit darker than the new shade of blonde, Due to perspiration, peeling off the heavy layers of sweat, laced running clothes, I placed them into a plastic bucket at the bottom of my closet and retrieved a white towel, some soap and a bar, some shampoo and a bar of soap. Having prepared myself for the twice daily trek to the shower, the most dis- that most mistaken runners make. I noticed the silver-plated pen I had used to take notes with during the priest's blessing was not in its holder. I'd been, it had been awarded to me when I was 16 for having won my age group at the pentathlon held inside Ulster County, New York, known for its nature preserves, rolling hills and 17th century Dutch homesteads. It seemed only fitting that the pen's holder be present with a embossed silver label plate was fashioned out in a varnished driftwood 
had been dredged out of the burnt out reservoir. Even though the ice's base was uneven, it would rock back and forth and the slightest of movements. It represented a well-rounded athletic victory. Victory, I had transported it from my parents' home as a reminder of what accomplishments while attending college. Now the ghost has gone, it represented a second major accomplishment. I carefully placed the cool, smooth metal plate in a mis- misshapen wooden base. The D quad bathroom was directly across from my bedroom, and a heavy two inch thick wooden door on its floor based rail track. Guided, it, guided the bar from entrance. It, it would rattle as if it was slid open and closed, due perhaps to its sheer weight, which made passing in and out of the bathroom without notice impossible. This is a fact that should be become virtually well, soon become virtually important, vitally important. Entering the bathroom, I switched on the overhead lights and proceeded to the lone shower stall. A cheap, thin, largely ineffective plastic curtain hang over a shiny metallic crossbar. The speckled shower stall floor was clean, cool and dry. It had not been used for several hours. The warming spray of water relaxed my muscles as I washed away the dried salt from my pores. I loved up my hair, still taking the time to take the pointy out El Alfara, little rascal shape that my mother used to used to do when I was young. There's no question that my afternoon run had gone very well, and if my body continued to respond in such a manner, I'd be returning home in eight weeks to what would should be a very successful road racing season. My provisional perf. Original vision caught sight of a major fluctuation in the light that was entering the shower stall. Flimsy infected shower curtain certainly was no help. If anyone inside the bathroom chose to show, glance towards the shower stall, they would be able to see most of the occupants at any given time. It would happen from time to time, especially on parents' weekend, when someone's mother or sister would wander onto the wrong floor and come confronted with sights unexpected. Sights unexpected. The internal movement didn't tear me from my thoughts right away. As the 1985 Montgomery Summit track series is certainly my primary focus. I wasn't a great hot weather runner, perhaps due to my light complexion. The conventional wisdom of the day stated that the darker one's skin, better one was able to run in hot temperatures. Think Kenya or Brazil. And the lighter one skin, the faster you would in the cooler conditions. Think Norway, Great Britain, is largely an apophological believes based belief. But I held my own the previous year, winning three of the five scorching hot cross country runs. Reflecting as I was, it occurred to me that it's not rained once during any of my last year's races. I couldn't recall a single competition held under even slightly cloudy conditions. How welcome such shade would have been. Heck, I would have settled for the shade I have right now. Right now, all too many sense of uneasiness crept over me. I glanced up. 
towards the ceiling, and there, through a steady steam of shell water, I saw a human-shaped shadow. It was slightly glazing, grazing down at me. My eyes squinted, watching it swayed. It swayed ever so slightly, shoulders, skull, tilted neck. Impossible. The priest had arrived, just as he promised, on Wednesday the 6th, 8 p.m., dark suitcase in one hand, in a hand. I've been there as he chased away the evil of blessed water and his commanding presence. Afterwards he spoke to me about the mysteries of God and made me make sure to ask him if the ghost of someone could come back. Only if you invite him back, he answered without hesitation. That's not going to happen, I granted him. Guaranteed him. For the truth was that the cleric panicked as the cleric packed away his belongings, I could state in his heart that there was no longer, there was no possible scenario in which I would ever imagine doing so. Call me if you need anything else, he said as he strode out the door in the peaceful hallway. There is, there, but there had been no need to call. A strange close, close room breezes, flashing lights, the whispering voice, the people heard calling my name. The empty, creaky loft, the missing items, the crowded white mist, the shadows washing across the walls, the cold finger of tips touching my neck and opening the well-latched closet door, the thrones of cold that people claimed clung to their legs, the tug of war with an unseen opponent with my, from, of my pillow, the self-activating tape recorder, the full-bloody apparition that would rise from Paul's stereo or ho- hover over me as I sl- slept, breathing in my breath. All gone now. Using my hands, I wiped the water from my eyes, only to see the shadow moving across the room's ceiling. With the speed and reflexes that are currently contributed to a 209 half-mile, I sprinted from the misty shower saw came to sliding barefoot in the centre of the college dorm bathroom. Hello? I could see, I could feel my heart pounding inside my chest. Nothing. Ignoring my nakedness, as well as the immediate discomfort caused by rapid fluctuation in air, temperatures around my body, I took the moment to check inside the toilet stall. Under the sinks, my slightly pruned fingers clenched and unclenched nervously as pools of water began to form around my alert feet as it dripped down my legs. The pools of water on the floor were actually a positive thing, I reasoned to myself, for it in fact that someone had actually mastered the art of opening the bathroom door. Total silence, I would suddenly hear them splash around, splash through the newly formed puzzle. Should they decide to fall to your turn? It wasn't a ghost. The priest had sent him away. Returning to the comforting warmth of the shower, again washing a lava shampoo into my gold-hued lock curls, rationalising that perhaps the shadow was nothing more than a, an after-image caused by the ever inversely rubbing my eyes with, with my hands. I watched him rampant attention that a steady steam of white shampoo bubbles gathered around my ankles as they prepared to make their unavoidable journey down the shower drain into the darkness never ever seen again. I shot a quick glance up at the ceiling. The shadow was back.
now suspended directly over me, the humanized form seemed to move a bit closer, as though it was trying to get a better look. I darted a second time. I was in the middle of the bathroom, nearly losing my fit footing in the puddles. I myself had overtly quaked just minutes ago. Only the strength of my runner's left kept me upright, preventing me from landing with an impossible thud on my embarrassing with an embarrassing thud on my posterior. I was certain this time I wouldn't see at last one of my colleagues slightly glaring in the toilets of having pranked me. I said aloud, There is no way you're getting away. I could outrun all of you. It's done. It's over. Empty. The bathroom was empty. I checked the heavy wood. The bathroom door had not been moved. This point, my, my mind grasped something of great reverence. The bathroom lights sort of on the ceiling, by definition, that meant any shadow cast by them would be located on the ground. But just as the sunlight cast shadows on the ground below the sunlight, there could be no shadows on the ceiling unless there was an active and continued light source on the floor. The pulse of my neck quickened with sudden realisation that regardless of any effort I might make, that I would never catch one of my friends by chasing shadows on the ceilings. That's because they would be physically incapable of casting such shadows. Not even the cleverest of college students is able to bend the very laws of science. But it wasn't a person then, no. I'm not ready to accept this. Everything has been fine for three and a half days, remember, Griffiths. The priest pressed the room. I've got to get back to my room. I looked up the now shadow-free ceiling and blurted out, the hell you. I trudged back as to finally one can while wearing no clothing into the warming shower in order to rinse off one final time and return to safety in my room across the hallway. As I turned the shower water with my right hand, turned off the shower water with my right hand, my headphones had remained free, but it didn't matter. There was no time to act, no warning. My eyes had simply closed as my face connected with the hard shower wall. The wall tasted bitter, like soap powder. But I was thankful that my top teeth had not, did not feel damaged from the swift and sudden impact. Whatever had been used to stab me in the back, just below my neck was used with such force that my right foot was momentarily stepped off the ground. I sensed that the next actions I might, I thought might, well, very well be my last. My last. But I wasn't a fighter by nature. I was part of the conservation, the cafeteria during my senior year of high school, which my friends and I were challenging other each other to label ourselves as either lover or fighter. It was typically mean this discussion primarily meant to help push our way through those awfully spongy meatloaf sandwiches. The conversation had been no doubt brought on by popular song called The Girl Is Mine sung by Michael Jackson and Paul McCartney. That was getting huge amounts of air time. Most of my friends, whose 
should be pointed out, were too slow for track, too short for basketball, too weak for baseball, claimed to be fighters. My guess anything they could be fighting any time soon would be a dreadful case of indigestion for the savages. But I liked them. They were creative and funny, and they were willing to put up with the fact that as a social competitive athlete, I didn't have much time to socialise after school or weekends. But for my part, I claimed to be a lover, not that I was yet, I certainly wasn't a fighter. This surprised many of them, given a long-standing and completely false fourth-grade groomer that I knew karate. My claim in the for not being a fighter would bear itself out in a drastic fashion just a few months later. Free one road race in historical Cornwall, New York was one that I had been looking forward to for some time. Greg Lamov, a present and bespeckled gentleman, welcomed us as we registered a marathoner himself. It was his first year as a tri- race chair and director. His efforts were supported by the Newburg YMCA Roadrunners. When the time drew near, I made my way up in front of the 100 plus assembled runners to the starting line, as it's established custom in the running community for those who are considered to have a realistic chance of winning. As the race director made his last minute announcements through a tiny sounding blow horn, I felt a finger jab in my right shoulder. I turned. There was a smile on my face. I turned with a smile on my face and extended my right hand out. Extended my right hand, expecting to see someone who wanted to shake my hand and wish me good luck. It was not an uncommon occurrence for me to win my age group, 16 to 19 that day, if not the entire race. We Desideres were well known for racing several t- times in one given week. I recall one week in the summer of 1984 when we raced five times in one day, seven, seven days. There usually wasn't a race in which Vito and his kids were bringing home some type of bitvy hardware. <coughs> but the fa- but the face that greeted me was not smiling. The man's large teeth were clenched, and a thin black moustache. He shot me a squint-eyed stare from his twenty-something face. Very confused, I pulled my hand back and refocused my attention on the race as the pistol fired. It was a gloriously mid-April. Morning, newly opened light green leaves on the maple oak trees and lying the streets, and a fresh smell of the first cut grass of the season waft from the waft from a suburban environment that made me feel very much alive. My body felt ready. I would try to win today the whole thing. The league group consisted of three runners, only one of whom I recognised. I followed approximately five yards back with a, with a secondary pack that included a local well-known runner named Jeff Murphy. The most common mistake that new runners make is going out, starting off too quickly. I knew better. My dad had trained me to run successfully from the tender age of eight, eleven. From the first, from that first day when he chased me 
for three miles with a stick to get me out of the room. He seemed now that I was physically, he seemed know what I was physically capable, or even if I, if I did not, even if I did not. <coughs> it was all right. I ran the 18-11 that day, high school varsity time. <coughs> My dad was a genius. I typically preferred to hold him back and watching the leaders during the race sections, early sections of a race. <coughs> I, prefer, I typically preferred hold, holding back and watching the leaders during the early sections of a race. As the, as the miles passed by, I would watch carefully as the perspiration was seat through their thin shirts as their muscles weakened and their legs turned over slowed. I noticed it was a, with practised accuracy when someone's arms began to troop, drop at the elbow and when their form broke. I listened to the breathing as it became a more laboured, at time painful effort and they began to slow, I would surge past them. Strategy I took no water from the makeshift stand at the two bar mark, which was sexually maintained by two young girls. Rather, I picked up my pace around the corner and began my move towards the lead pack. Corners are important. <coughs> <coughs> Jeff Mercy chose to go with me, running just a few feet off my right shoulder. It was his decision that buoyed my spirits because he was a veteran racer who knew how to win. Together we moved into the third place, picking off a tall, well-thin high schooler with long dark hair and a bright red racing singlet. Track wet, running with decent leg speed, but who is not Used to the additional distance, I slightly counselled myself. His determined case indicated that he wanted to keep pace of us, but his depleted body had no effective response to surgery that had moved us well in front of him. A short-haired, grey-coloured terrier that must might have been got off its lead briefly caught my attention. As I watched it sniff around the base, of a nearby mailbox, finally, violence is quickly struck. <clears throat> I felt the pain from the hard elbow that jabbed my neck at first. The impact did, however, succeeded, staggering me at, to a grinding halt, my hands now on my knees, trying to catch my breath. I watched his angry, thin Mustard man, the one who jabbed my shoulder at the starting line, made unmistakable unmistakable eye contact with me. He struck me down and clearly wanted me to know it. In spite of that now growing throbbing pain that was stopped just below my jawline, I quickly ran after him. Still, I was afraid I'm a lover, not a fighter. 
Jeff Murphy, who had seen this biosynthesis move, was moving, having none of this. He was no taller than me, but now he's mid-twenties. He filled out the way he managed should. He was street strong. His curly beard presented my mind with the image of a Greek demigod, Hercules, who he seemed an awful lot like as he definitely, as he definitely swiped his legs out from under the runner who just attacked me. Fud. Murphy kept running, never looking once back at his deserving victim. I did my level best to work through this lingering pain and was able to gain a steady stride in spite of a newfound stiffness. My assailant kept running as well, but now he stayed well behind, keeping his distance from us, looking ashamed with, the, with no bounce left in his step. He crossed the finish line a full two minutes after death and me, then hastily departed the race area. It was perhaps his first smart move of the, that day. After the awards had been handed out, a faint Jeff, who seemed completely unfazed by the whole ordeal, as he offered, this kind of crap happens all the time. He was a fighter. Now I had to be. I'd just been attacked in a shower. I decided that I was going to break someone's nose, even if it meant breaking my hand, which it probably would. To do so, I tried to remember to protect my face. I wanted to make sure that even if I was killed, I should, it could, it, there could be an open cast, having read somewhere that it was better for emotional closure. My mum would prefer that, I, re- I reason. Plus, I had paged through a book on death masks, impressions made of the recently deceased face and kept the posterity while still in junior high. And reading the, and seeing the contorted looks on it, some of them made me feel uneasy, especially Julius Caesar. Legend held that he had been stabbed some 23 times. I had apparently been stabbed just once, but the image flashed, flashed between through my head and seemed uniquely irrelevant to the moment. I did, not, I did have a passing thought that to pull a weapon out of my back in order to use it against my attacker, but I was uncertain about the potential blood loss in, blood loss in doing so. Drawing a deep breath with my, with my runner's lungs and every ounce of strength I had summoned, I unleashed a powerful left-handed haymaker into the area I estimated my assailant's head might be. My brain tinged with exhilaration as my fist mercifully came into contact with something tangible. I made sure to follow through in my own motion. This, this could be no letting up. This was a very important moment. A tearing sound was followed by an odd soft flutter. I vanished my foe, the thin shower curtain lay at my trembling feet, utterly defeated, done. The only awkward sensation was a persistent soft tap, of water dripping from the shower head directly above behind me. No shoes, sneakers or bare feet were visible in the stall or the other side of the brightly lit room. The only thing any possible hiding place. The bathroom was empty. Or was it? Kicking the wet, slippery plastic shower curtain aside, I stepped, right foot first, out of the shower stall. 
without question, the bathroom was now colder, still too cold. Who are you? I screamed, looking about frankly as I did. Where are you? God? The devil? Who are you, God? The devil? Show yourself, you coward. Total silence reigned. Even the repetitive drip of the water from the shower had now stopped. At that precise moment, the sheer lunacy of the situation made me pause. I half smiled to myself and considered maybe some of this was actually none of this was actually happening. Maybe there was no shadow, no attacker, no injury. Perhaps it's all some type of psychological flashback. Was it possible to simply disbelieve everything? It hadn't worked that way when the things first appeared in my room back in on February twelfth or in a month since. But maybe this time it would work. One shouldn't lose faith in a crisis. Cautiously I turned my head towards the rectangular shaped mirror fastened above the porcelain sink nearest the shower. The uneasy hope that I might find simply be losing my grip on reality, in spite of the pages and pages of notes in Jeff's journal and the ghost photographs that suggested otherwise, was still very much inside and still very much alive inside of me, temporarily madness, a retreatable and complicated way out of this nightmare. But the only set to think course of action I could see. Was there's no damn, there's no room. I'm crazy. Damn, damn, damn. Damn, damn, damn. There they were. Three long, parallel, uneven scratches. The edges cut in my soft human skin. were beating up blood, my blood. It was clear enough proof that something had just viciously attacked me. It proved the priest, or no priest, something dead was winning. This is real. I took one more look, one more time, took one more more time, one more time at my reflection inside the mirror. I looked so sad, I felt, I feel bad for myself as I was, weakly drop into my knees, then fall down into my face. It's March 10th, 1985. The digital clock with a CD2-D1 reads 3.31, but I'm not there to see it. I'm lying down, stark naked, shivering wet, and bleeding on the floor of the bed bathroom every 30 feet away. Some thirty feet away, I was busy dying. So that is chapter one of Surviving Evidence Memoirs of Extreme Haunting by Christopher de Cesare and William Edwards.